get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Of course, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can get us there, the TSN 1050.ca show page, on Twitter, at TSN Analytics, and at AndyMC81. Great show, as always, for you. We're officially out of the All-Star break. Things getting back to normal around the National Hockey League. Travis Yost from TSN.ca will join me in a moment. Gus Katsaros from Roto World Analytics, columnist and McKean's hockey analyst. Then James Harding with some NHL.com fantasy advice. Does a great job writing for NHL.com on fantasy. And then Greg Wachinski, ESPN senior NHL writer and co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. Going to go over some of the interesting technology that we saw during the All-Star weekend that might be new and sticking around in the NHL. And we're delivered by Domino's, as you know, to the Domino's pizza delivery line. We go large for topping pizza, just twelve ninety nine. Check out all the great deals at Domino's.ca. Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Travis, before we get into the hockey, of course, it's Super Bowl weekend. I got to know, who do you got, Pats or Rams? You're going to ask a Bills fan who he's picking there? I, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 got, I almost have my Todd Gurley jersey on already. Rams um, by 40, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know what? Not only... I gotta say this: is the market is the market or the public sphere overcorrecting for the Patriots boogeyman? Like I, I feel like the Rams. I feel like this game is a coin flip. But if you watch kind of the betting markets, the Patriots are I think like a two and a half, three point two and a half favorite. Yeah, yeah. That's that. I don't know. I I, I kind of like the Rams. I, I think it's pretty close to a coin flip game. I mean, these are two of the three best teams in the NFL all year. Um, yeah. I, I'm hoping it's going to be a compelling game to the finish. I'm going to be cheering for the Rams, but. You know, my heart says Rams. My brain says you're a Bills fan. You know how this ends. But I'm rolling with my heart this year, Rams. boy. Let's go. Let's go, Rams. All right. Let's get to hockey here, Travis, and begin with yesterday's trade between Pittsburgh and Florida. So the Penguins acquired centers Nick Bukestad and Jared McCann from the Panthers for pending free agents Derek Broussard and Riley Sheehan, along with the 2019 second-round pick and two fourth-round picks in June. So TSN Hockey Insider Bob McKenzie tweeted the key to this deal for Pittsburgh was turning expiring contracts into younger contract players without taking an immediate step back in the present time. So how much of a step back, if any, do you think the Penguins took with adding those two players? Uh, not much. Uh, the reality is Derek Broussard uh, has not been the same player as he was just a few years ago. That, and there, he's been involved in a couple trades now. Um, yeah. And I think Pittsburgh reasonably so, um, is looking for ways to remain younger and cheaper around the Crosby, Malkin, Latang contracts to keep their window open as long as humanly possible. They they have been tight against the cap now for what feels like four or five years, but it this you know I, I need to go back and look, but it certainly seems like every trade deadline, um, despite Pittsburgh being pretty close, close against the cap, that they engineer some trade of materiality. And what I mean by that is they're bringing in something, some guy or some group of guys that you can point to and say, yeah, that, that guy could have an impact on the Shrek. And I, I think I think Nick Bukestad is a perfect example of that. Like he, Nick Bukestad is a solid top-nine player. I, I don't know that the offensive production has been there relative to what we thought it would be uh, coming out of the draft, but he's still a very reliable two-way player. 
And look, I you know you, you look at this from the Florida perspective. Florida's getting off some contracts here too. But mm-hmm. uh, you know the the interesting part in Florida's involvement here, uh, I I I struggle with understanding what the Panthers are doing here. Like it, it seems like they first they took when when Dale Talon reassumed control of the team, he went and repurged all of the moves done by the prior front office. And now he's, it almost looks like he's purging his moves now. Like he's now moved into a second phase of getting rid of the moves that he made that, that created some cap issues and unfortunately underwhelming roster performance. So ultimately you could point to this trade as a win-win. I think Pittsburgh gets the better end of the deal. I think Florida, I, I Dale Talon was mentioning yesterday, they get a little more cap space and they do get picks. Um, I, I have to kind of disagree with Talon on the third point though. He, if you read one of his quotes, um, he mentioned that they got cap space, true. They got futures that are valuable, true. Um, and they got real, you know, something to the effect of impact players, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And I, I, I right. don't see the latter being true at all. I, Florida is going to be a lottery team this year again. And, uh, it, you know, it, ultimately how it, how it benefits them is what they do with those picks and, and what they do with that cap space. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see, especially this summer, because Dale Talon has uh, definitely inferred that that cap space would be used this summer. And let's be honest, I mean, there are a lot of big-name free agents. The same reason why we think the trade deadline is so exciting. (laughs) Those same guys who are on expiring deals are going to be free agents this summer. So keep an eye out for Florida. Yeah, Florida under five hundred at the moment. And so, Travis, let's stick with trade here. We're in February, end of the month is the NHL trade deadline. And this week on TSN.ca, you profiled Blue Center Braden Shen as a possible buy low option for a team looking to acquire talent at the deadline. And this year, Frank Saravelli has some big time talent on the top of his TSN trade bait board. But who are some of the other less notable names outside of Shen that could be maybe some value acquisitions at the deadline or leading up to it? Yeah, um, I, I certainly think there's a couple. It, it, the problem is it's, it's harder to find, you know, the, the diamond in the rough when there's so many other diamonds around, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it, there's so much attention to Matt Deshane and Mark Stone or Timmy Panarin and, and where these guys are going to go. Um, I, I like focusing on Shen because Shen fits the mold of what we talk about on this show, which is how do you find guys where – uh, it's not that you're necessarily taking advantage of a team, but their production or their performance over the last three, six, or nine months is much better, you know, under the you know under the curtains, uh, behind the curtains, than it is on paper, right? Like that that's that's the key here. And and Braden Shen's counting numbers, especially his goal rates, are really underwhelming this year. I mean, he has just not found the back of the net as frequently as he has in years past. But if you look at at some of his underlying numbers, especially at five on five. You know, Shen's been on probably, or I would say inarguably, St. Louis's most dangerous offensive line. And Braden Shen is still having a pretty sizable impact on the scoring rates of all of his teammates. I mean, his teammates, when playing with Braden Shen, are scoring like first-line talent. And, and generally true for defensemen as well. They're scoring like top-four defensemen. So, you, you know, Braden Shen's assist rates have still been there, but his goal rates are way down. And it's not for a lack of effort. I mean, he's generating a lot of scoring chances individually. He's generating a lot of shot volume, and you would expect that a player like Shen over an average season based on his historical shooting percentage would be about seven or eight goals better at this point of the year. That's, a, that, that's more than a win just on Braden Shen's shooting percentage. And if you look at St. Louis' situation, they're in an interesting spot. They've got a ton of desirable assets, um, and they're in this weird pickle where they had such a horrible start to the year that they've 
I don't, I don't know that they've eliminated themselves from the playoff race. I think they're about a 25-ish percent chance to make it. Uh, but they certainly look more like seller than buyer. And Brandon Shen has a year and a half left, which makes him a really desirable rental, especially for a contending team. Yeah. And uh, you, you have to wonder if the Blues would even consider extending him a year and a half down the road. I, I, I think you can make an argument that the Blues, uh, and, and he's certainly on TSN's trade bait board, um, that the Blues could and should move Shen in the next month or so. From the other side of it, from the buying perspective, I just think you can get this type of player cheaper than what he's probably worth. I mean, time and time again, we see that scoring rates drive contracts and trade returns, and we are and the front, NHL front offices are very impacted by recency bias. Um, to that end, if a team can swoop in and get Shen for something of a of a you know a, a I don't want to say middling return, but maybe a substandard return from what uh, we would expect him to have netted last year. I, I think he's a no-brainer. I mean, this guy is a quasi-first, second-liner, has been for years, and he's playing just as well this year as he has in years past, just not getting a lot of puck luck right now. I love it. That could be a great value pickup for somebody. In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. So, Travis, for any listeners who may be Sabres fans, should – but, you know, people, that Travis also contributes some Sabres analytics coverage to the Buffalo News. And now that you're keeping even more of a keen eye on Buffalo, can you put into perspective how impressive Rasmus Dahlin's rookie season has been as an 18-year-old defenseman? And is there any chance you think he makes a serious argument against Vancouver's Elias Pettersson for Rookie of the Year? Uh, he, he's been incredible. I, I know he yeah. had a rough night. It was last night or two nights ago. I think he, met, he, was, he was killing himself over being a minus three, which... Someone needs to tell Rasmus Dahlin that if you're if you're worried about single game plus minus, you're probably in a bad spot mentally. But um, <laughs> you know, he, he, the, yeah, right. the thing that kills me is like we we talk a lot about young defensemen and how we expect players twenty twenty one twenty two to be contributing at the NHL level. Like the the one of the most tired excuses in the league is yeah, well, he needs more time when the guy's had two and a half three seasons sure. and you haven't seen a change in his player development. Uh, this is a young man's league, but it, I bring that up because an 18-year-old defenseman basically getting first-pairing minutes, I think he's just behind Rasmus Ristolainen uh, in ice time this year, a- and he's looked every bit the part of the guy that we thought that we were bringing into the league. I mean, his puck movement, his ability to create space, his ability to transition the puck, uh, he has been a blessing for that Buffalo top line um, you know, it, that, that Skinner-Eichel combination ha- has been fantastic all year. But go look at how even how more pronounced their scoring rates even are with Dahlin behind them. I mean, imagine you've got two really, really high-end scorers, and they're going to make magic on their own. And then, oh, by the way, now they've got a guy behind them who can take some of the time, space, and burden off their shoulders and create more opportunities for them. It's one of the reasons why Buffalo has been such a weird team to watch this year. When their first line, first pairing is on the ice, they are playoff caliber. Their depth, though, has it, it just, it's just not. It's horrendous. I mean, it is what it is. And I, I think the Sabres organization knew that even if they were better than expected this season, that ultimately they were going to run into depth performance and depth scoring issues. And when one or more of Skinner, Eichel, and Dahlin are off the ice, they they just they're they're a lottery team. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And uh, and that's to me, it's it's kind of the gift and the curse, right? Like the Sabers are better this year because they've got real core foundational talent to build around, and they're really pushing for a playoff spot at this point. Even though they've got Carolina, you know, breathing down their necks now. 
Um, but in the same breath, it's like, okay, how do we go about finding a couple additional guys to complement Darlene on the back end and Skinner and Eichel up top to make sure this is a actually legitimate playoff contending roster next year. Yeah, it's uh, boy, Travis, we got so much to talk about coming up over the next few weeks leading up to the trade deadline and of course the push to the playoffs. Thanks so much, buddy. Talk to you next week. All right, take care now. There he goes, Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Gotta follow him on Twitter at Travis Yost, and of course check out his great work on TSN.ca. We'll step aside. Gus Katsaros from Roto World, their analytics columnist, and from McKean's Hockey, joins me next right here on TSN Hockey Analytics. If you're hungry, check out this great deal from Domino's. Unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. That's right, as many pizzas as you want with a minimum purchase of two pizzas. So stock up, dig in, and feed that hunger with unlimited two-topping medium pizzas. Perfect for the big game, a busy night with the family, or just because. Order online today at dominoes.ca and add on some great side dishes and dessert. That's dominoes.ca. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. We're rolling along TSN Hockey Analytics, TSN 1050 Toronto. All-star done. thank goodness. Things getting back to normal here. I'm Andy McNamara. Give us a follow on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, TSN1050.ca show page, of course. And let's welcome in, courtesy of the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line, where you can get a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. Fresh toppings, marbled cookie brownie for dessert. The lava cakes, too, are really terrific. I love those as well. Cheesy bread, pasta, boneless chicken. Check it all out at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Gus Katsaros on the line from Roto World, analytics columnist and McKean's Hockey. Gus, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely, sir. So, let's get into the Maple Leafs. Uh, made a lot of noise for a team that hadn't played in what seemed like forever. They, uh, General Manager Kyle Dubas completed the Jake Muzzin trade for prospects and a 2019 first-round pick. Two-part question for you. What was your reaction earlier in the week to the deal of getting Muzzin? And then how do you think he fit in last night in the Maple Leafs debut, that OT loss to the Red Wings? Well, I mean, what they gave up was, uh, I'll use the word middling, two middling prospects. Yeah. Although I really think that Sean Dursey is something special. So I think that at some point in time, he'll end up emerging as a very special player where the Leafs fans will kind of look back and go, wow, look at what we gave up. However... At the time when you gave up a prized prospect and a first-round pick, and let, let's just momentarily talk about the first-round pick, most likely it's going to be 20 or higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably getting a good average NHL player. If you develop him and maybe hit a little bit of the jackpot, you perhaps get a star. But the chances of that are much slimmer. The proportional, um, the, uh, the probability. Yeah of a player becoming a star in that range is very, very low. So Sean Dursey, I think, is the prize. So essentially they traded him for Muzzin. Muzzin, on the other hand, is what the Leafs kind of need. Obviously, they were looking for a right-hand shot, but they didn't get that right-hand shot. He provides a different element that is currently in need right now. Um, So the trade itself is to fix the situation currently and mortgaging a little bit of your future in order to get that uh, accomplished. Uh, you know, I really don't want to comment on one particular game. I thought that he looked okay. I thought Riley struggled a little bit on the right side in regards to the positioning and, and, and 
forcing him to kind of use his backhand a little bit. But at the same time, I felt that both those players seemed to kind of change. They inter interswitched. So one time Muzzin was playing on the left, another time Riley was playing on the left. So I'm kind of wondering if they somehow, between them, um, find a, a, a situation where they're able to kind of just switch on the fly um, and the best player available in that specific circumstance is the one playing the left to the right side. So let's give Muzzin a few games just to kind of see exactly what kind of uh, impact he could possibly have in the future. I just don't think that we can really assess it after last night's game. Right, and you brought up which side and kind of the switch, and I wonder, just over the short term, if there's going to be some growing pains working together, right? New guy, new partner, new new situation there for Muzzin. Do you think they should be sticking to, to one side or another, or if they, as you said, kind of best player, they can switch on the fly? That seems, if you can get it down pat, that could be a real asset going forward. That's absolutely right, because you don't want to, you never want to pigeonhole a hockey player into right. one specific role. You'd like to give them the opportunity to breathe um, and change with circumstances. Um, the one attribute that seems to be a given specifically to Jake Muzzin, though, um, and I think I really do need to address this, is the fact that he's really good at breaking up the cycle. That's all fine and good. However, um, you would also need another element in order for that one skill to be very useful, and that's support. And the Leafs currently don't provide a very good level of support in the defensive zone. So as good as he is, it may be breaking up the cycle, and then we still have to kind of see that on its own uh, in a Leafs uniform. Um, if the Leafs don't provide proper support, then what's the point of bringing in a player whose main attribute seems to be the ability to break off the cycle, uh, add a little bit of grit, and provide a little bit of offense? You, mm-hmm. you need to kind of see exactly where Muzzin fits in this whole puzzle here. In conversation with Gus Katsaros from Roto World Analytics columnist and McKean's hockey analyst on Twitter, at Cats Hockey, Cats with a K. So, Gus, it seems like longer, but at least for the past two years, we've been spending plenty of time, how are the Leafs going to address the blue line problem? How are they going to get deeper? How are they going to get better? You need more to be a true contender. So now that they get Muzzin, who has a resume that includes a Stanley Cup, where do we go from here? Would you like to see Dubas make another deal? Should he hold off and see how everything kind of gels together with, with Muzzin? Or where do you think that Leafs front office needs to go next? Well, I mean, you kind of have to figure that Dubas at some point in time figured if we pull the trigger a little bit early here, we give Muzzin and my team the ability to uh, integrate everything and and see where everybody kind of fits. And if there's a reason to go out and find another player, we could always do it by the trade deadline. And that spot seems to be on that third pairing from the defense. And we will leave the forwards for the moment, since we're focusing on defense here. Mm -hmm. Um, If Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley end up becoming that first pair um, Gardner and Zaitsev on that second pair, then they need to make sure that they have a, a compatible third line. Dermott seems to be a mainstay, and Ron Hainsey, to me, seems to be the odd man now. He's just not able to keep the uh, same type of NHL pace. Even if he's able to provide momentarily uh, um, momentary flashes of effectiveness, um, I think if it comes down to it, Kyle Dubas might want to actually change or, or upgrade in that role. That won't necessarily be a very expensive acquisition. And after playing, uh, paying a first-round pick and a pretty prized prospect in Jersey to go and acquire Muzzin, they can't be looking at getting a really big deal also for cap consideration. So if they are going to do anything, it'll probably be a very depth move at a very cheap price. Right, and kind of just go to build the back end, as you said, depth and, uh, and all that. So let's go to the, the dreaded two words, Gus, offer sheet. 
and it's been discussed for Matthews and Marner, and you know it's been it's been batted around. But Darren Dreger, TSN Hockey Insider, of course, said on Insider Trading this week um, he spoke about Marner possibly being offered an offer sheet. Have a listen. Darren Ferris, who represents Mitch Marner, has made it publicly known that they have no intention of negotiating with the Toronto Maple Leafs until the end of the year. Look, teams around the National Hockey League are hoping that Ferris is a man of his word, and there is no negotiation until the end of this uh, until the end of the season or July 1st. And I can tell you with certainty that teams are 100 percent preparing an offer sheet for Mitch Marner. We'll see if it gets to that point. And as we know, the Leafs have made it abundantly clear that. If it does, they'll match. So that is a Darren Dreger. So, Gus, what do you make of that? Because I, Kyle Dubas, is, he sounded confident before with William Nylander. Remember those negotiations? Ah, oh, we'll get him signed, no problem. And then it kind of dragged on. So I'm a little nervous here. Like, if this goes, do you think we're going to see that? And depending on the offer, boy, that could be real negative for the Maple Leafs, couldn't it? Well, I, two things have to happen here. First, teams have to have the assets in order to provide an offer sheet. And it's not like 29 teams have all the assets in order to do that. Right. So, so let's cut the playing field down. Um, and I haven't really done an extensive amount of research, but to me it's a handful of teams that could even possibly make an offer sheet. Of those teams, chances are that they're not in the phase where they're able to give up those kind of assets to pick up a player like Marner because they're either in the rebuilding or in a retooling stage. So are you really going to blow a whole bunch of first-round picks or whatever those assets do become um, just to sign a player that you're going to eventually overpay for because in order to give a valid offer, it's going to have to be extensively high. It's going to have to provide some kind of an ex- of incentive for Marner to walk away from the lease. Um, but the most important part about all of this is Marner actually has to sign the offer sheet. So hmm. teams can line up all they want, but if Marner has no intention of signing an offer sheet, um, then essentially the plan's all moot. At the same time, if Marner desperately needs an offer sheet in order to negotiate with Toronto and makes a sign in order for Toronto to match, would you really want to tie up your organization in that regard and then mm. make sure that all the money's coming to you and there's nothing left in order to provide support and, and, and build up a roster to become a champion? Like, strategically, it doesn't seem to make sense to me that all this attention is being paid on Marner and offer sheets. Let's go on another route. Why isn't the same kind of attention being given to Braden Point? He's in the hmm. same situation. He is better defensively. He may not necessarily have the same skill set as Marner does offensively, but he's providing the points and the point production. So we're kind of looking at teams lining up for Marner, but nobody lining up for Braden Point. I think that this is a little bit more of a uh, uh, to drum up the interest leading towards um, the situation rather than what the reality of the situation is. The teams can line up as much as they want. Marner has to be the one that actually signs that offer sheet. And in that same breath, as long as Matthews hasn't signed by July the 1st, same thing kind of goes for him too. The players control this situation. If they don't sign anything, there's no issues for an offer sheet. Oh, there's always something for Maple Leaf fans to wring their hands over, isn't there, Gus? Always something. (laughs) Always <laughs> something. Oh, well, in any case, we'll we'll wait and see how that plays out. Great stuff as always, man. The pleasure is always mine, Andy. Thank right. you very much. There Enjoy you go. The Super Bowl. Yeah, you too. You too. Gus Katsaros, Roto World Analytics columnist, McKean's Hockey Analyst. Let's step aside, get into some NHL fantasy hockey talk. Coming out of the All-Star break for your league, for your DFS play, James Harding from NHL.com joins me next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. 
This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to TSN Hockey Analytics. TSN 1050 Toronto. Andy McNamara with you. On Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Delivered by Domino's. Perfect for the big game, hockey, football, whatever. You're busy, doesn't matter. Large four topping for just $12.99. Check out all the great deals. Domino's.ca. That's Domino's.ca. Let's bring in our good buddy from NHL.com. Terrific fantasy hockey writer, James Harding. James, how are you, man? How are you, man? I am doing well, Andy. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. Uh, hockey's back. It's Super Bowl weekend. Real quick, what's your Super Bowl prediction? Pats or Rams? Um, I am a Jets fan, so uh, I am vehemently rooting for the Rams, but I, I think that's going to be the Patriots. Excellent. And Travis Yost is a Bills fan, so it's the AFC East bias. I love it. All, <laughs> all anti-Patriots. Uh, hey, James, we know why the people stop by. It's for... Stock up. Stock down. So let's get into your two stock up fantasy players heading into the weekend. Yeah, my first stock up fantasy player of the weekend is Travis Konechny from the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, He's tri-eligible in Yahoo center, left wing, right wing eligible. So he's a great, that's a great starting point for a forward for your fantasy team. You can slot him in everywhere and he's only 39 percent owned right now Mm. in yahoo leagues uh the flyers were one of only four teams this week to have four games coming out of their bye which was the week prior to the all-star break and then coming out of the all-star break this week uh has points in three of his past four games with two multi-point games in that span he had a power play assist and four shots on goal in their overtime win against the bruins on thursday and he has a very favorable matchup this afternoon against the Edmonton Oilers at home, where twenty-eight, uh, where eighteen of his twenty-nine points have come this season in twenty-four home games. So uh, I'm very, very high on Travis Konechny right now in a very favorable matchup on Saturday afternoon. And then my second stock up of the week for the New York Rangers is right wing Matt Zuccarello. Uh, he did not play in the Rangers' first game out of the All Star break with a foot issue. But he had three assists and one power, uh, one on the power play against the Devils on Thursday in his first game back. Points in six straight games and in seven of his past eight games that he's played in, four goals and eight assists in his current six-game scoring streak with four power play points. And he's skating on a very underrated line right now with Mika Zibanejad, who excuse me, has 13 points in his past seven games and Chris Kreider, who has points in four of his past six. So that line is electric right now. And forecasting down over the next month, Zuccarello is a prime candidate to be traded before mm. the NHL trade deadline. And if he's moved to a contender and can consistently continue this level of production, he's somebody that you want to look out for in all league formats going forward. So stock could rise even higher. Okay, who are we staying away from in stock down? Yeah, stock down right now on Patrick Laine from the Jets. Uh, he continues to just have a very baffling season for Winnipeg. He has 25 goals, which is tied for 18th in the NHL with Alex DeBrincat from the Blackhawks. He has 174 shots on goal, which is 15th in the league right now. But he only has nine assists on the season. Uh, and he's seen multiple different line mates kind of trying to help get him going. 
pointless in four straight and in eight of his past ten games. Um, he And he's skating on the first line there with Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, and Josh Morrissey. So he's seeing elite-level exposure on the power play. He's playing with Brian Little at even strength and Jack Roslovic, who he's had success with Little in the past before. Um, it's just a very baffling season for him that he's so up and down and so inconsistent. I would say that you still have to play him in season-long formats, but I'd be very, very leery about spending up for him in DFS daily formats until he really starts to get on any kind of a roll. But it's just a very, very intriguing season to see how up and down he's been compared to his first two years where we've gotten so used to him being just such a complete all-around player. Um, And then my second stock down for the week is Kyle Palmieri from the Devils. Uh, He's greatly feeling the effect of not having Taylor Hall on that line with him and Nico Heischer. Uh, Three goals in his past ten games, but two of those were a a multi-goal game earlier in the month of January, and he has no other points in that span. Uh, Skating with Nico Heischer and Marcus Johansson right now at even strength, so that's a very, very weak uh, line pairing compared to playing with last year's MVP and Taylor Hall. And he is skating on the first power play unit, but when Hall isn't in that lineup, it suffers greatly. And I don't think he sure is there enough to drive the offense at his age just yet to keep Paul Mary relevant. He's 81% owned right now. So until Taylor Hall gets back, I'm very, very worried about putting Kyle Paul Mary in any of my lineups. Stock up, stock down uh, for James Harding from NHL.com. Brought to you by three Brewers Microbrewery restaurants, locations all across the GTA. Go check one out today. Great food, great beer, great times. Three Brewers. Okay, James, now you mentioned some DFS plays. So for your DraftKings NHL contest this weekend, you got 13 games Saturday, three Sunday. And, of course, you can try the, the classic salary with the salary cap for all the games or the showdown matchup, which is really cool, where you have just head-to-head to add an extra interest to some of the games there. So give me your DFS play, your DraftKings play, who you like, whether it's value, whether it's someone maybe a little under the radar. Yeah, it's going to be somebody a little under the radar whose salary is a little bit higher than a value guy, but it's Corey Perry from the Ducks. Uh, $5,500, and he's supposed to make his season debut tonight against the Winnipeg Jets. He's missed the entire season so far with a knee injury, but he has been removed from injured reserve and is expected to skate on Saturday night on the first line there with Ryan Getzloff and Ricard Raquel back in his normal place where he was last year, and he's going to be skating on the second power play unit. We're talking about a guy who in his career is a .80 points per game scorer, so scoring 80% of the time when he's in a game in his career, and he has 14 points, 10 goals and 4 assists, and 65 shots on goal in 18 career games against the Winnipeg Jets. So I think just the the fact that he's coming back, he's going to be in the lineup placement, and his salary is lower than where it expectedly normally is from previous seasons. I, I like Corey Perry to come out and, and show some fire tonight in his season debut in a very, very tough matchup. Good stuff, buddy. And we didn't have time to get to the trade strategy when it comes to fantasy play. But, folks, if you have any questions for James and your uh, your NHL fantasy team, who's traded, uh, what impact that will have to your fantasy lineup, you can tweet James at jharding underscore hockey, and he's happy to answer you there. And I'm sure we'll have a few more deals. James, we'll, uh, we'll get to that uh, over the next couple of weeks. 
No, I think it's going to be an exciting trade deadline, uh, the run-up to it. I think yeah. we're going to see some major movement. Good stuff, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. All right. There he is, James Harding, NHL.com, fantasy hockey writer again on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. We'll step aside and wrap up the show with ESPN senior NHL writer Greg Wyshynski. You don't want to miss this coming up to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Get the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. Joining me now on the Domino's Pizza delivery line. Don't forget, folks, get a large four topping for just $12.99. Check out all the great deals. Carry out delivery at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. It's Greg Wyshynski from ESPN Senior NHL Writer and co-host of the Puck Soup Podcast. Greg, how's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's get right into it. This week on ESPN.com, you took a deep dive into the NHL's continued trial of player and puck tracking. So this past weekend at the All-Star Game in San Jose, the league ran another round of tests on this new technology that brings plenty of new data with it. It's been in the works for a couple years now, but obviously isn't in full-time use. So from what you've seen of the evolution of this technology, what do you think the NHL's goal is with tracking both players and the puck? Well, it's a combination of two things. I mean, uh, first of all, it's, it's no secret that the NHL thinks that this could really enhance the way that the game is presented on television. They're always looking for ways to kind of jazz it up. In, in the past, it's been the glow puck and things like that. The old fox and, puck, oh yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and the, and, the, and the glow puck could come back with this technology. They've, they've used a sort of, sort of comet tail on the puck on broadcast because of the technology inside the puck so on the one hand they think it's a great way for them to tell different types of stories not only with the tracking of the puck and and the players uh, digitally but also in the data that they're collecting that they think people can tell different stories with Um, from a more practical standpoint though it's going to give teams a whole new data set on their players and so there is a written agreement between the nhlpa and the nhl that these uh, these data points collected by the, the player tracking, whether it's velocity of skating, velocity of shot, all this other stuff, that that can't be used in contract negotiations. But we all know it, it will be. <laughs> we all know it's going to be used to evaluate these players. Um, I actually think it's kind of a mistake by the NHLPA to take that off the table for themselves because the more data, the more stats for a player, the more there are ways you can prove that you're you know, a, a quality player beyond goals and assists. Oh, so that's the other thing. Ways. And then finally... The reason that it's happening now is because they found a way to monetize it. The, the, the gambling applications of player and puck tracking are, are legion uh, insofar as the creation of prop bets, insofar as licensing that data to sports books like they already have with uh, MGM uh, Grand. So the, the, it's no, no coincidence that we're finally getting this technology, which does cost a lot to imp- install in, in arenas and does cost a lot to put inside of the pucks. Uh, at a time when the NHL feels like they've found a way to monetize it. So, Greg, in your article on ESPN, you also hinted to one of the negative side of all the tracking and the effect on, on players. 
And you mentioned just mentioned now the arbitration and contract negotiations. So you had quotes from everyone, from Jack Eichel to Devin Dubnik in your piece. From the players you spoke to, how do you think they feel about the new technology? We just spoke about kind of the big picture feel from the, the, the contract side, but what about the players? I think overall they don't like it, um, the majority of them. Uh, you're dealing with a lot of, of veteran players who, who feel as though you know, just knowing the velocity of somebody skating or, or judging their stamina based on those numbers is not necessarily going to paint a full picture. I mean, Blake Wheeler said it himself to me where he's like, you know, just because a guy's the fastest skater or has the hardest shot in practice doesn't necessarily mean that that guy's a good hockey player. And I think Very a lot true. of guys see the intangibles beyond those stats. Um, but I also think, you know, from a sort of a, a more immediate standpoint, a lot of them don't really trust that this technology is going to not affect things like the puck. I mean, Jack Eichel said to me that players can tell immediately if the puck is a little bit lighter or, or, or heavier than it should be. And uh, from what I've heard, you know, from some of the testing that they've done at the, at the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights games this year, they haven't necessarily gotten the weight of the puck correct quite yet. Hmm. Um, and so that's going to be a real challenge. I mean, the, the, the reason why um, puck tracking in the past has failed, or one of the reasons why is that, you know, sometimes the pucks would separate when you, when you, when you would hit them. Um, I think the technology's gotten better for manufacturing, but there's no question that if the players feel uh, that the, the, these pucks aren't necessarily the weight they should be with all the technology inside of them, uh, they're gonna they're gonna really raise hell about it, <laughs> and it's gonna be a, an ugly look for the league. That's for sure. So, with that being said, I guess whether this sticks around or not really depends on how much they can streamline the technology so that players don't feel like it's any different, right? Because ultimately, at home, people watching it, you know, some people will will, will love, hate, be indifferent towards whatever. But really, as you said, if it's affecting the equipment, the puck. Like the only way this sticks around is if they make it as normal as possible, right? I, yeah, and I, but I think it's going to stick around regardless. You know, you, you, Gary Bettman rarely doesn't get what he wants <laughs> no. when he when he kind of zeroes in on something. And Arizona still has a wanted, hockey team, so yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so they've clearly wanted this technology for several years now, and and they feel like in working with the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany and and some other companies that they've gotten it to a, a decent price point, and they've gotten it to the point where it's not going to you know, the puck isn't going to shatter when you hit it or anything. And it's also not going to cost 200 bucks to manufacture them anymore either, which is another, another issue that they've had in the past. So I, I think it's going to arrive. It's just a matter of when. Right. Um, and then the biggest issue for me, honestly, as a, as a, as a journalist is, you know, it's, it's cool that we can have all this information on the screen. It's cool that we can use it uh, eventually to, like, recreate games digitally and virtual reality. Like, the applications of this stuff are endless. But at the end of the day you got to tell me why, why I care about it. Like, it's, it's right. one thing for, for them to put a, a triangle on the ice through, through CGI to indicate how far away defensemen are from each other on the ice. Tell me why that matters. Tell, mm. tell me why a guy skating a certain velocity in the third period versus the first period matters versus, you know, the, the degradation of speed for his peers. Like, I feel like there's going to be a giant analysis gap between what this data gives us and, and people qualified to tell us what it means and i think it's the it's sort of a a larger scale problem that we are have already seen during the analytics movement i I really like that point you made greg because yeah on tv if it's for internal use that's one thing but on tv for for average fan who you know 
likes hockey, maybe not follows it, every, whatever, who just is sitting down to watch a game. If they see a whole bunch of triangles popping up on the screen and glow, they're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Am I playing a video right. game? What's happening? So you're, you're absolutely right. What does that matter? And, and then that's kind of the, the whole thing with, with just hockey analytics as a whole. When we're explaining stuff on the show the past, past five years, we've done our best to say, this is why these numbers matter. It's not just data. It's this is why it's yeah. important to the games you're watching. So, yeah. How does that affect the average fan? That's the whole game. And, and, and I really have my doubts that, you know, they're going to have people on these broadcasts that can carry this thing beyond it just being some interesting trivia or, or a chance to make some cool graphics. But, right. you know, the other application, obviously, is the gambling part. And I, and I think that's, that's a real, real part of this whole thing is, you know, the NHL for years has thought if, if there's more entry points for people that want to wager on sports – to wager on hockey that's going to expand the reach of the game and mm. you know the idea that you can have this sort of immediacy and wagering on things it to me is is uh is a, is a real game changer uh may, maybe not necessarily a good game changer for people <laughs> that spend too much money betting on sports uh but uh but to, to bring your to bring your buddy to a game and say hey it's about to go to the three-on-three overtime and here's all of the different ways that you could bet on it including you know where on the ice the game-winning goal could be scored is uh, is a pre- it's a pretty remarkable thing for for hockey. Yeah, especially if you're at the game in a few uh, few brews deep, right? Like, I'll put twenty on it. <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> That's a danger. <laughs> in conversation with Greg Wachinski, ESPN senior NHL writer on Twitter at Wachinski. So let's uh, shift gears here for a moment to the league as it stands now. And yourself and Emily Kaplan recently graded every NHL team for ESPN.com. Which Canadian team received the highest grade? And would you also say that the Canadian team that received the highest grade from you is also the one you trust most among teams in Canada to maybe win it all in June? Now, I can't speak for the Jets because that was Emily's domain. (laughs) But I know that I gave the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, my highest score. I, I just think that, you know, three dynamic scoring lines, uh, a goaltender who is uh, without question amongst the best in the league. And, and just overall, I think, uh, you know, now that they've gotten that, that Jake Muzzin trade done, uh, the, def- the defense looks a lot better than I think it did previously where you were hoping that Ron Hainsey could pull down top pairing minutes. So I, I just think the Leafs are, are, are really good. I just do question whether or not they have what it takes defensively to win a playoff series. And I also think that, the real issue now is that it's kind of reminiscent of when uh, they had this sort of dance with Ottawa in the playoffs every couple of years. They're, they're going to play the Bruins, and I don't know right. if they could beat the Bruins. <laughs> you know, I think the Bruins are a team that might have their number that can you know, punch the Leafs in the mouth or in some cases lick their faces, and then <laughs> Toronto doesn't have a response for it. So it's, it's well going to be interesting to see if they can get past their tormentors. Well done, sir. That's great. Uh, Greg, always good stuff, buddy. Thank you. Let's do it again soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. There he goes, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, their senior NHL writer and co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. So make sure you check that out. Well, that'll do it, ladies and gentlemen, for another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics. So for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Have a great week.